The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number anytime, Savan's number, that is 416-216-5910, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You've had a lot of very uh, interesting and cool cases coming last week or two, so we'll get to a bunch of those. We'll also get to a little tool called the Injury Calculator here in just a little bit. So the week that was, what do you got for me? All right, John, I got a uh, few cases for you, and uh, they're very interesting. And as usual, we go through a few fact scenarios, people who've contacted us. One of them that we're going to talk about uh, is uh, it was actually a submission through the injury calculator. Excellent. So uh, I'll, I'll go over that. And again, it's for people out there uh, who may have been injured or on disability or know someone who is uh, or just want this information in the event, God forbid, that they are in a situation where they need to use this information uh, or need to contact us, mm-hmm. they know. So let's start with the first one. This is a lady uh, from Mississauga uh, who uh, was injured on August 24th. So, uh, you know, just very, very recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, she broke her foot uh, after tripping on uneven sidewalk in her Uh complex. Uh, She was wearing steel toe boots at that point. And she she lives in a housing complex. Uh, But one of the things that we don't know is whether the sidewalk is owned or maintained by the city, by the municipality. And as you know, you got to give them written notice uh, of a potential claim within 10 days. Uh, If you don't, it could be very detrimental to your case. So luckily, she contacted us before the 10 days. We sent out the notice. No problem. Uh, The interesting thing is this, uh, is is that uh, uh, she broke the bone in her right foot and um, under the uh, the ankle. Uh, She's in a cast. There was no surgery at this point. She does um, a labor type job. She, she, it's a physical job, uh, and uh, you know she, she earns approximately uh, twenty five thousand dollars a year. That's her salary, uh, and we have some photos. She was very smart. She took yeah. photographs of the of the broken uh, sidewalk. Uh, it, it's a broken. She, she said uneven sidewalk, but it's actually a broken sidewalk. I saw the pictures. And, you know, here's, here's a case. This is really interesting because you know how we always talk about, and we're going to talk about this with the injury calculator, that you can get an idea from the calculator as to how much you could be entitled to or you could be owed, we use the word owed, right. uh, for compensation for your pain and suffering. Yes. And this is one of those cases where you have somebody who's young, someone who broke their ankle. And let's say you go to the calculator, injurycalculator.ca. You put in the information, and let's say the calculator tells you that you're entitled to, let's say, thirty to forty thousand dollars potentially for your broken ankle. Uh, but if, if if she does a labor type job, a heavy job, and she's unable to go back to work, or she has difficulty going back to work, and let's say she's off work for a while, and and if the bone doesn't heal properly, and maybe she needs surgery in the future, and she's going to potentially be uh, competitively disadvantaged in the workplace going forward. And if she's a young person, as she is, you can see how you can make a claim here for future income losses that would be a lot more than the thirty or 40000 oh, yeah. she could potentially be looking at for pain and suffering. And, and this happens quite often. People out there who think, you know, I, I broke something, I, I tore my shoulder, I broke my hip, something happens like that. And yes, your pain and suffering may be worth, and I say worth uh, uh, in, 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 in a very general uh, um, way, uh, you may be owed... Thirty thousand, forty thousand, sixty, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars potentially, maybe even more for pain and suffering. But maybe you have expenses such as income losses into the future because you can't work or you can't do all the jobs you used to do. Right? You used to work three jobs now you can only do one uh, because of your injuries. So you could you could have uh, expenses and claims that uh, far exceed the amount that you are owed for pain and suffering. And this is one of those cases where you can see how somebody who does a heavy physical labor job. Because her right foot is the one that's, that's broken here, clearly she can't go back to work. 
Question is, when is she going to be able to go back to work and what the income losses are going to be? So it's just interesting to see how pain and suffering uh, um, matches up with income loss. It's not always a, a you know direct correlation. It's, it's interesting, too, because so many people that would go ahead and deal with the insurance company or whatever without seeking someone like you would say, oh, okay, $50,000, I guess that's what I get, thanks, bye. And well, they wouldn't think beyond that yes, years down the you're road. You're absolutely right. right. And, and more to the point, more to the point, and we're going to talk about a case, uh, a lady who had contacted me up in uh, North Bay, mm-hmm. John. Uh, and that's interesting. It's going to come into play. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about her in a moment. But not only are you going to be entitled to pain and suffering as well as potentially other damages, but oftentimes the insurance company will try to settle with you while you are focused on your pain and suffering only. Right. It's not their job to make sure you get oh, fully yeah. compensated, which is why if you're dealing with the insurance company by yourself and this is not your area of expertise or you don't have anybody advising you, you could be accepting 10 cents on the dollar or even less. And once you sign that release, right, once you sign the settlement documents, you're done. You can't go back and reopen the case. And that happens all the time. People call me, email me, Sivan, I did this and this. You talked on your show. I should be getting 10 times more. Sorry, I can't help you. You settled. You signed the dotted line. Even if they didn't, the insurance company didn't go down that road of compensation beyond the pain and suffering. Doesn't matter. The insurance company has no obligation to tell you what, what, you know, how much money you're owed. In fact, their obligations are to, to, you know, their own, their own administration, their own shareholders, whoever it is they're reporting to. Their job, if you think about it, for insurance companies, it's to save money. It's to make money. We may not like it, right? We think it's a corrupt system, but at the end of the day, that's their goal. That's their objective. It's to save money and to make money. And the way to do it is to pay as little as possible sure. on claims or to deny claims altogether. Keep as many shekels inside the house as you can, you got right? It. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We'll take a uh, quick break. In the meantime, you want to get a hold of lots more coming in the week that was. The number is 416-216-5910. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Savannah available at all hours. And you can check out uh, the injury calculator as well before we get into that a little deeper at injurycalculator.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here, Talk Radio, AM640. The number anytime, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of Sivan anytime. Right in the middle of the week, there was some cases that have come by your desk and you've dealt with in the past, some of them uh, very recent. So we'll get back into another one of those. That's right. And this one came to me from Ottawa. It was a gentleman. He's 58 years old. Uh, he was injured uh, in April of this year. And uh, the, the submission that I got through the injury calculator essentially said, um, it, it gave me obviously uh, the, the date of the incident. It said it was a slip and fall in Ottawa. Uh, and if, like in, in, in terms of the effect on work, it said, uh, I'm working less hours, fewer jobs, and no overtime because of my injury. Uh, he injured his leg. It was a fracture of his fibula. And of course, the calculator provided an amount and it was around $30,000. Okay. And again, it depends on the significance of, of the claim. Yep. Uh, it depends on, on the impact on him, uh, you know, as to whether or not it's going to be higher or lower than that amount. But this is one of those cases where, you know, we're looking at someone who is unable to work now, uh, who, uh, you know, was delivering uh, newspapers to houses and he, slip, he, he basically slipped on, on steps, um, yep. just coming down. But it's a serious injury. And, and what's more, uh, you know, this is one of those cases where because he's unable to, to, uh, to work, again, just like the last case we discussed, his income loss could potentially be a lot greater sure. than what he's going to be entitled to for pain and suffering. So again, very important people to understand that even when you use your the, the injury calculator, uh, that's going to give you only the amount, the range of damages for your pain and suffering. And it's not based on, on some arbitrary amount. It's based on research that we've done 
uh, with cases across the country and we put them into a database and uh, we have an algorithm so that when you put the information in the calculator, and literally it takes 10, 15 seconds, 20 seconds max, it's drop-down menu, uh, uh, menus and, and uh, uh, things you can select there. So yeah, you're not typing easy. anything. It's easy. Uh, and and it just shoots out an amount that you are potentially owed if it was someone else's negligence. If, in fact, you have a claim against someone and you have an insurance company that ends up uh, uh, responding. So, again, one of those cases where we have to look not only at the injury and the pain and suffering, but at the potential income losses and, and other expenses. I mean, if he's 58 years old and he suffered a fracture... He could potentially have out-of-pocket expenses for physiotherapy, uh, for other medical rehabilitation services. Perhaps he needs help around the home now. Um, Maybe family members are going to be helping him and they can make a claim. So extremely important when someone is injured, especially if it's a severe injury, that you contact us immediately. So we can tell you here's the full gamut of what you could be expecting. Here are the various categories of damages. If you try to negotiate by yourself, I, I promise you, if you don't know this area of law, you're going to be accepting potentially a lot less than what you are owed. See, it's, it's the one thing you mentioned there I find is interesting that most people probably wouldn't even think about claiming uh, beyond pain and suffering otherwise is getting people that you know, possibly fam- family members helping around the house because it's obvious that if, you know, Acme Landscaping is coming in to do your snow shoveling and your lawn, you're going to claim that possibly in your claim, even if you're that savvy. But if your kid's doing it or your brother-in-law is coming by, you wouldn't think of even billing for it. Right, and claiming for it. First of all, you wouldn't. Second of all, you're not going to even record it, right? Because right. most of the time, you're not going to necessarily pay them, but there are ways to advance that claim. Right. Under Section 61 of the Family Law Act, if people Google it, you know, Section 61 Family Law Act, Ontario, you'll see that as a result of injury, family members, immediate members, uh, can claim for certain things. They can claim for out-of-pocket expenses. They can claim for the time that they've put in helping the individual. If you're injured and your wife is now, uh, you know, helping you with various things, I know it seems counterintuitive to say that she's going to make a claim, but why not? If you have kids who are now coming uh, to, to your home to take care of you because, you know, you, you broke your hip and now, you know, they need to, to be around you for 10 hours a day uh, for, the, for the next three months, why can't they be making a claim? It only makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Our, our legal system uh, is based on, on the principle of compensation. You did not ask for it. If someone was responsible for your injury, if you slipped and fell in a store on a sidewalk, you know, if you were in a car accident and it was somebody else's fault, you're most likely going to have an insurance company on the other side, and they are used to these kinds of claims. The, the mistake that most people make when they have significant claims is that their lawyers, let alone them, but their lawyers even, don't necessarily advance that claim, that uh, family member's claim, or even if it's a neighbor, incidentally, sure. that you've been paying to cut your grass or to shovel the snow, or you've said, you know, I'm going to owe you, and, you know, we're going to keep some timesheets so that at the end, when my case resolves or goes to mediation or a pretrial or whatever it is, I can advance that claim. You know, I owe you $15,000. Why not? I mean, those services were legitimately provided. I'm only talking about, John, services legitimately provided. For sure. I mean, when I was doing defense work, I saw a lot of these kinds of claims that, you know, had no basis in fact. But if you are injured, especially if it's a severe injury, and you have people at home around you helping you out, keep records of those. Keep yeah, some verbal's kind of, not uh, enough, right? Go the extra mile and do an Excel spreadsheet or something, right? You got it. It's, it's, verbal yeah. is very suspect, even though it's natural. Yeah. From the insurance standpoint, you know, they're thinking, hold on, you don't have anything documenting this. You have no timesheets. You have no diary. You have no letter, perhaps, from your neighbor saying that for the last two years, you know, he cut your snow, uh, cut your snow, cut your grass and shoveled your snow. snow. Yeah, exactly. 
you'd want to have some kind of a record that you're advancing, some kind of a way to calculate how much it is that you should be claiming for that category of damage. We'll take a uh, we'll take a quick break. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savan, and the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. A little more of the week that was, and then we'll get right into one of your email questions uh, after a short break right here in the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910. Keep that number in your phone. It'll get you a hold of Savan anytime you want to email them as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a couple of those here in just a moment. We're going to finish off uh, the week that was. Some cases have come by your desk, and people can learn from these, actually, when you when you think about them. That, that's right. So so here's um, uh, an interesting case. The last one I'm going to talk about today, uh, and, and this came um, uh, through one of the people at our firm um, who spoke with this gentleman. I wasn't available at the time, so this is the email that she had sent me. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to call this gentleman George. That's not his real name. But I'll say George. George called on behalf of his wife, uh, who had a fall at uh, Tim Hortons a year ago in April. This is up in North Bay. Uh, she has been handling the claim on her own, he says. She was exiting the Tim Hortons when she was stepping down on a ramp that she misjudged the distance. Um, the, the ramp was currently under renovation. She fell down, hitting her head and breaking her glasses. She was diagnosed with a compression fracture in her back. She did receive an email from the contractor lawyer stating that the general contractor failed to repaint the yellow markings that outlined that there was a change in the elevation of the ramp. George stated that since the fall, her character has changed. Clearly, it's a very significant injury. She she hit her head, uh, and and uh, you know she, she she has she needs a lot a lot of treatments now, and she's she's seven years old. Right. So this is interesting because the injury is fairly significant. I don't have a lot more information. We're in communication now with, with both George and, and his wife. But a compression fracture to the back, um, th- there could be a variety of, of fractures that you suffer, and it depends on the loss of height. It depends on a lot, a lot of things and what the prognosis is given her age. Uh, I, I can tell you that just based on the information about the contractor and the fact that they failed uh, to put some markings on the ramp, there's likely going to be negligence here. And okay. it's interesting to me that she's been handling the claim on her own, he says, for a year or so. Wow. Okay. The claim should have already been started. So what he means is that she's been talking back and forth. And I wouldn't be surprised if when we chat about this, me and George and his wife, she'll tell me that uh, they haven't been responding. I don't know if that's the case, but that's what usually happens. You give the insurance company information or the adjusters. They say, we'll get back to you. They never do. And you follow up, you follow up, you follow up. And what happens sometimes is you miss a two-year limitation period and then you're out of luck. Because if you didn't start the claim within two years, it's very, very difficult to advance the claim. Is there any recourse against that? Like go to someone like you and say, look, I've I've, I've emailed, I've phone called, I've I've reminded them, they never got back to me. No, no, there is no recourse. There there are are very few exceptions to the two-year limitation period. You do not want to be in a situation where you have to argue those exceptions (laughs) because then the other side has leverage. You know, but in this case, uh, from the description of the incident, clearly in my view, there is a claim here. The claim is significant. And let's talk about the, the categories of damage, because we talked about that in the last couple of segments. So she has a compression fracture in her back, okay, which means that she's fractured the vertebrae. Right. All right. Uh, if you go to the calculator, I don't have the computer in front of me, you can type in the information and it's going to tell you that she's entitled to X amount of dollars for her pain and suffering. Let's just uh, choose 80,000 as an arbitrary okay. number, okay? Okay, and, and now she's, re- she's a retiree. She's seven years old. But what about the category of the help she's now going to need? If she was completely self-sufficient and now she's in a wheelchair or now she has a walker and she can't do this and can't do that, maybe she needs to be in a home. Maybe now George needs to be providing a lot more services to her. 
can he claim under Section 61 of the Family Law Act? Yes. I can tell you that a case like this could easily resolve for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Just because the pain and suffering could be less than six figures doesn't mean that the care that she needs is not worth in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just, I, I could see if, I mean, I, you don't know her dwelling. I don't know if she's in a two-story or a bungalow or whatever, but I could just outfitting her house. You got it. Like, just with railings and That's ramps right. and stuff to get in and out of bathrooms and possibly one of those elevated chairs. Oh, my God. John, I've had situations exactly like that where there was no choice. They actually had to sell the home, and then there was a loss on the home, and we advanced that as an amount. Wow, no and, kidding. And, yeah, and, and again, I mean, keep in mind, this is not about... Uh, um, you know, you trying to squeeze the insurance company for something. This is you getting compensation for an injury you didn't ask for and you weren't at fault for. So, you know, very important to understand that when you have an injury, there are so many things. And now, uh, George put in the email that I read to you uh, that his wife has been dealing with with um, with a contractor or potentially his insurance company mm-hmm. for a while. I guarantee you that any discussions about money were not in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm telling you that right now. I'll be very surprised if that was the case. So extremely important that George contacted me. Uh, I'll be speaking with them. And and you know what? We should be able to resolve that claim. We're just going to have to make sure that we absolutely uh, look at everything and make sure we, we, we recover all of the compensa- compensation that she's owed, not just for a portion of it for pain and suffering. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to one quickly, as promised. Uh, before the break, Rob from Kingston writes in, says, I'm on long-term disability for anxiety and depression. I've been on a disability for two and a half years. In the past few weeks, my adjuster started calling me and asking me a lot of questions about my treatments and why I can't go back to work. I'm getting really anxious every time she calls. I can't sleep, can't eat. What do I do? John, what should you do? He should call you. He should call me. Rob, you should call me. And if you can't talk to me, have your wife, your daughter, your son, your parent, whoever it is, call me. Let me deal with the adjuster. This is not unusual. Uh, Unfortunately, in disability claims, that's the number one complaint I get uh, is, you know, people, when they see that phone number coming up on the call display or they get that email from the adjuster, and the adjuster could be a very nice person, but they just get anxious because they don't know what they want from them. Uh, and, and, you know, in a situation like this, Rob, you know, and we're going to talk about this a bit later, uh, warning signs, things people should watch for when they are on long-term disability, you know, are, just to project ahead and see what's going to foreshadow a potential denial of a claim or a cutoff. If the adjuster is now asking you a whole bunch of questions, um, if, 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 you know, the frequency of calls is increasing, uh, if, if the adjuster is asking you why you can't go back to work, it indicates to me that that adjuster is trying to figure out what answer they should be giving their supervisor who's probably asking questions about the claim. Uh, it's possible that perhaps, um, you know, you don't have any updated medical records. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that's the case given the fact that you've been on disability for two and a half years. Uh, but, you know, in a case like this where the adjuster starts doing things that's very unusual, they're starts asking, they're, they're, yeah, they're potentially gearing up or setting up the file to justify a cutoff. And that should worry you. Uh, because oftentimes we can actually swoop in ahead of time and potentially avert the cutoff. Nice. And if we don't, we've positioned your claim in such a way that we can start the claim immediately after the cutoff and force the insurance company to the negotiating table to resolve the case for what it's prop- uh, uh, properly worth. We'll get to a few of your long-term disability questions here in a moment. The uh, number is 416-216-5910. That'll get you a hold of Savan directly. And the email again is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the insurance 
and Injury Law Show. It's right here, as always, on Talk Radio, AM640. The number to get hold of Savan anytime is 416-216-5910, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some uh, long-term disability questions here. You've mentioned before that there's a uh, test for getting long-term disability. The uh, the person must be, quote-unquote, totally disabled. What exactly does that mean? That's an excellent question because that's something I usually get. People often get denied long-term disability on the basis that they're not totally disabled. Right. And, you know, when people say totally disabled, you think, okay, well, totally disabled means totally disabled. I can't do anything. I'm confined to a wheelchair, confined yeah. to a bed. No, no. Total disability or complete inability, these are legal terms. They're terms of art. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. It means that it's not what it seems. If, in fact, the, the test was, are you confined to a bed and you can't get out of bed because you're paraplegic, uh, you know, God forbid, then nobody would qualify for long-term disability. That's not the test. That's just not the test. Uh, so d- don't interpret uh, th- these these definitions or, or, or th- th- these words and phrases literally. Um, you know, there was recently an article that was written by an organization that uh, I'm a part of. Uh, they're called the Ontario Trial Lawyers Association, and they dealt with the issue of total disability and complete inability. And, you know, to qualify under, uh, under total disability, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're unable to perform any task uh, of any job. There was a case that was in front of the Supreme Court of Canada years ago, and the uh, chief uh, justice, the chief uh, judge in, in that case uh, specifically said this, and I'm going to quote this. He says, the test of total disability is satisfied when circumstances are such that a reasonable person would recognize that he should not engage in certain activity, even though he literally is not physically unable to do so. In other words, total disability does not mean absolute physical inability to transact any kind of business pertaining to one's occupation. So, you know, from that and, and, and subsequent case law, we know that in order to prove that you are totally disabled, the test really is, can you do, you know, the significant aspects of your job? It's not, can you work for an hour, uh, you know, when, you were, when, when before disability you were able to work full time. Uh, it's, it's not, can, can you work a part-time job, but you can't do the full job. It, it's, 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 it's much broader than that. It's, it's much more in favor of the insured, which is why, which is why. I haven't had a case yet, and that's a fact, John, despite all the people who have contacted me through the years, never had a case that I have taken on when the person was cut off or denied long-term disability on the basis of not being totally disabled that I haven't been able to resolve uh, in favor of my client, that my client got money at the end. Because as long as you have doctors or treatment providers who support your disability and they give, you know, an explanation, they can't just say, you know, you're totally disabled. They say, here is the nature of the disability. They may not know the cause of the disability. I've had those happen. But they tell me, uh, or the, the letter says, or the reports say, uh, these are the limitations. These are the issues the person is suffering from. And the prognosis at this point is unclear for the foreseeable future. As long as I have that, I have something to go with to the insurance company. And for them to say that's not enough, well, if that was the case, they wouldn't pay a dime on any case that I've had. Right. And that's never happened. So what are the top three things people need to know about their long-term disability claims, you think? Well, it, it, okay, so this is, this is quite important because I usually get asked, you know, what's, what's, what should I keep in mind when I have right. an LTD claim? First of all, as I said before, your, your LTD claim is only as strong as the support you have from your treating 
uh, providers. And I say providers because they don't have to be doctors, although you want to have doctors involved. I mean, clearly, you're not, not going to have only a physiotherapist. You're going to have potentially a family doctor, a physiatrist, an orthopedic surgeon. If they are supporting your disability, and sometimes that's a problem, because sometimes these treatment providers are not as supportive. But if they support you, if they have letters, reports that they've prepared that have been submitted to the insurance company, it makes it very difficult for the insurance company to reject your claim. They may still do it, but I can tell you they're going to be on very shaky ground. And we can attack the insurance company's decision to cut you off or deny you uh, if, in fact, your treating providers are supporting your disability. So getting that support from your doctor, from your physio, from your chiro, from your psychologist, psychiatrist, crucial. Number two, understand the adjuster's role in the process. And we talked about that before. Guys, the adjuster that is, quote-unquote, helping you with your claim, who are they employed by? They're employed by the insurance company. Therefore, therefore, their job is to do whatever the insurance company wants them to do. And what does the insurance company want to do? What's their objective? To save money, not to pay money. So the adjuster may be uh, a very good person. Uh, they, they, they may be very good at what they do. They may be very nice. Oh, Mr. Rogers comes to your front door. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. But ultimately, who are they working for? So just understand that as helpful as they are and as nice as they are, and keep in mind, I have a lot of adjuster friends, mm-hmm. right, from my time as a defense lawyer. They're not bad people. The majority of them, some of them are bad people, but the majority <laughs> of them are not bad people. They're not. But they have a job to do, and their job is to cross all the T's, dot all the I's for the insurance company, and save the insurance company money. Number three, if at any point you sense trouble, even if you haven't been cut off yet, and that's happened to us, not to us, but to clients of mine many, many times, if you sense trouble, and it's going to be a gut, yeah, your spidey sense, you're going to have a gut feel, something is off, call me, email me, go to mydisabilityquestions.com, ask your question. You know, I I could potentially be giving you some some ideas on how to avert a cutoff or or postpone it or perhaps right. position your file your claim in a way that would allow you to maximize a settlement down the road. You don't want to be a, in a situation where uh, you haven't done that. You've buried your head in the sand, and then it comes at you from left field. The bonus one, the bonus point I'm going to give nice. you. Do this not. Free. Th- this is free. And we've talked about this a lot, but I keep seeing it. Do not appeal cutoffs and denials. Do not do it. These appeals are useless. They're detours. You're going to waste time. You're going to get money. You're going to get anxious. Many people just end up just dropping the whole thing altogether because of the frustration they have. Do not appeal cutoffs or denials. Just call us directly. Email me. I'll tell you if you have a case or not. Appeals go nowhere for the most part. Call and email simple 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce right over to more of your emails as soon as we come back from a short break in the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910, Savannah's direct number, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email used by our good pal uh, Dimitri in North York. Uh, writes in, says, I'm a long-term disability and have been on it for three years. Last month, went to see a doctor that the insurance company sent me to. Got a call from my adjuster on Friday saying that the doctor thinks I can try to go back to work. My own doctors have said many times that I can't. I have a back problem that causes me a lot of pain, and I can't sit or stand for more than 15 minutes at a time. What do you suggest I do? Uh, John, what do you think Dimitri should do? Call you. <laughs> call me, email me, go to, go to mydisabilityquestions.com. I keep emphasizing that website because it's a free website. I'm the one answering the questions. It's, it's, it's anonymous. I mean, you know, it, it, it makes no sense for people not to ask their questions there or to email me directly. It doesn't cost anything. 
So, Dimitri, let me, let me answer your question. So, first of all, you're saying you've been on disability on LTD for three years. So, again, mm-hmm. you're beyond that two-year mark, right? You've, you've passed the test of uh, total disability uh, and the expanded definition of total disability. You know, you can't do any job for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience. Now, insurance company sends you uh, to see their insurance doctor. And we're going to talk about some warning sounds down the road for people on LTD, what they should watch for. That is a warning sign. When the insurance company sends you to their own doctor, there is a reason for it. It's not necessarily that uh, they're going to cut you off after sending you to their doctor. But understand, you are being treated by your own physicians. Uh, they have your own uh, your, your interests at heart, your best interests at heart. The insurance doctor is being paid by the insurance company. So clearly there's going to be if not a bias, there's going to be the appearance of bias. And I can tell you from experience that the majority of insurance doctors, people, doctors who work for insurance companies, they want to make sure they continue getting paid by the insurance company. So I, I have no idea what this insurance doctor uh, uh, wrote or is going to write, but there is a very strong likelihood he'll write something to the effect of you can go back to work or should try a return to work right. program. Um. And, and in fact, you, you, you actually said, I'm, I'm now actually looking at the email, you're saying that you got a call saying that the doctor thinks you can go back to work. So, so you know, clearly I was, I was right a second ago. Uh, and, and listen, if it's between the insurance doctor and your doctors exactly. and your doctors are saying you cannot go back to work, I would take my chances with your doctors because they're not getting paid for their opinion. They're getting paid by OHIP, but you're not the one who's paying them. Right. And anytime I've had a case where my client's own physicians and and um, treatment providers have said that the individual I'm representing cannot go back because of X, Y, and Z, and there was an insurance doctor on the other side who said, no, they can, they can go back. I can tell you the insurance company uh, has never pushed the envelope till the end. They always settled because they understand that simply from a, a um, uh, an optics standpoint, mm-hmm. you're positioning... Uh, the people who are helping you, people who are working with you, who are treating you versus a paid physician, right. somebody who has been paid to provide an opinion that arguably is, is you know, in, in favor of the insurance company. Uh, so, you know, in, in, in your case, Dimitri, what I would do in, if, if you came to me and, and I was helping with a claim is I would write to the insurance company and I would tell them, listen, here's a summary of what my own client's recommendation, uh, my, my own client's physician's recommendations are. Here's what my clients, what, what Dimitri's doctors are saying. I understand why the insurance doctor is taking the position that he or she is taking. Uh, but I think that that would not hold in court. Not that these cases, they Get almost there. never go to, yeah, they, 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 you almost always have a settlement at some point. Uh, and I, I would basically tell the, 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 uh, the, you know, the adjuster, I say, listen, if you're going to cut them off, we're going to start a claim immediately and you're going to pay. And that's the reality. They pay these claims. As soon as there is a lawyer like myself, and I'm not the only one who does this, but as soon as you have a disability lawyer who does this kind of work, present all the evidence, and it's an overwhelming amount of evidence, despite whoever the insurance company retains on their end, they're going to try and settle the case because they know that they have a risk of losing if they go all the way. Well, I mean, you've worked on the other side. You've mentioned uh, you know since day one, so you've got uh, you know you've got uh, good access and and good you know optics from that side because you've worked on the insurance side. Does it ever ever backfire on them? I mean, does the insurance doctor ever look at the patient and go, yeah, you know what? This guy can't go back to work. Oh my God, he does. <laughs> like it this does. Guy, sorry, John, I know you're I, paying me, but this guy's not going anywhere. Right? Listen, I, I can tell you from personal experience, when I was defending claims for insurance companies 
And I would arrange for right. a defense doctor that I would retain for the insurance company to look at a, at, a, at, a, at a plaintiff, at a claimant. And the doctor comes back and says, yeah, this person is really screwed up. This person is going to need X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I've had situations where the opinions that I got from my insurance doctors were actually worse for my client, for the insurance company, than the doctors that were them? helping the individual. <laughs> right. So, yeah, no, it's not always the case that, that insurance doctors, doctors who work for insurance companies, uh, you know, are, are uh, you know, going to immediately say whatever the insurance company wants them to say. In the industry, we have an idea of which doctors uh, are, are pro-defense, which right. are pro-plaintiff, which, are, which ones are neutral. Generally, when I, when I do claims, when I start claims, I tend to, to go to, my go-to to doctors are the ones that I know have worked both sides. Right. So there is an appearance of, of non-bias. You know, right. I, I've still retained them for my purposes, but I know that they have experience working for both sides. You can't just say, oh, he only works for insurance company, right. uh, companies. She only works for plaintiffs. You know, you want somebody with credibility because if this goes before a judge, which again, most of these cases never do, but if it does, you want to be able to stand in front of the judge and say, Your Honor, this person clearly has credibility. This is not a hired gun, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yes, they were paid for their time because they're not going to do this pro bono, uh, but, but they have credibility and they have a huge CV. And they've worked on both sides. Yeah, but to answer your question, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can definitely backfire and it backfires all the time on insurance companies. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email as soon as we come back from a short break on the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. Got uh, Paul from Ottawa. Writes in, says, I just got cut off my long-term disability after uh, about 20 months. I was told by the adjuster that he disagrees with my chronic pain specialist's opinion and that he thinks I should try to go back to work. We just covered this. Uh, should I try to go back? I'm afraid that it'll make me worse. And my doctor agrees. My doctor agrees. Right. So, Paul, here's the answer. First of all, it seems like you were in disability just shy of uh, two years. So they cut you off just before the uh, change in definition date of total disability. Now, here's the interesting part of your email. You're saying that you were told by the adjuster that he, the adjuster, disagrees with your chronic pain specialist's opinion. I'd like to know if this adjuster is an MD. I'd like to know what uh, his qualifications are uh, for disagreeing with the specialist's opinion. Listen, I'm not saying that the specialist, I haven't seen the medical records, but I'm not saying uh, that the specialist is always right. But when I have an adjuster uh, who says, I simply disagree with this opinion, that's not enough for me. I would want to see them at least get an opinion from somebody on the medical side from the insurance company's perspective. Now, in this case, uh, Paul, uh, you're asking me, should you go back, should you try to go back to work because your adjuster is pushing you? I've said this before and I'll say it again. And this doesn't apply only to LTD. It applies to, you know, in car accidents, it applies slip and falls. If you're injured, if you're disabled, you should only go back to work or try to go back only if your doctors clear you and if you feel that you can. If those two things, if the answer is yes to both of them, then yes, you should try to go back. Do it gradually if you have to. If you have an issue with your employer, contact us. We have employment lawyers that can help you. But if your doctors are telling you, do not go back, then you're going back against medical advice and it's going to be used against you. Not to mention the fact that you may hurt yourself. Now, you have situations where your doctors are saying, listen, I think you may be able to go back, but you're saying, no, I can't. I can't. I don't think I'm functional enough. Well, then listen to your body. Listen to yourself. So I'm not saying you shouldn't try to mitigate, meaning try to get better, try to get back on the horse, but you should not be pushing yourself 
to go back to work or to try against medical advice and against what your own body tells you. And Paul, this is a fairly simple claim from what I can see, meaning I can help you very quickly. This is not going to take long to resolve, particularly if the insurance company doesn't have anyone uh, medical. In other words, no doctors or anyone on their end who's reviewed the specialists, your specialist's opinions, and actually advise the insurance company that they should cut you off. If it's just the adjuster doing that, as far as I'm concerned, there's bad faith there. Because, you know, unless, you know, the medical reports from your chronic pain specialist is screaming with, with problems, with mistakes, there's no way that you can say as an adjuster without medical training uh, that you simply disagree with the specialist's opinion when the specialist is the one who's treating you. That's just not right. I know there's people screaming at the radio right now going, yeah, but if I go back and, and I show that I can do some work, it's going to affect my claim in the negative. It looks like I shouldn't be on disability. Shouldn't I just sit on the couch like a lump and do nothing? Well, it, but so there are two issues here. Right. I mean, you should try to go back if you feel that you can go back and if your doctors clear you. If you don't feel that you can go back legitimately and if your doctors are not clearing you, you should not go back. If they clear you and you try to go back and you fail... You can go back on LTD or you can potentially have a, a stronger claim against the LTD uh, uh, company. My concern is that adjusters oftentimes push people to do things uh, against medical advice because people are just afraid. They don't know how to deal with the insurance company, right? So they're just going to do whatever the adjuster says despite the fact that it's going to make them worse. That's my concern. We'll uh, touch on settlements here in the last couple of minutes. So when uh, you settle an injury or disability claim, which this all boils down to really, how long does it typically take for your clients to get their money out of the road? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Right. And it's a question that obviously, uh, you know, clients are interested in because they need the money. They need the money to show pay me the, the mortgage. Money. Show me the money, right? I mean, we've gone through the process. You know, Sivan, you told us it's not going to be a difficult, uh, uh, difficult process. And it wasn't. And, you know, we've settled and I'm happy. When do I get the check? Well, if we went to mediation today, uh, generally speaking, depending on the insurance company, within a few weeks. Nice. In my in my experience, between two to four weeks is when we get the check, and the check is always made to the law firm in trust. It goes into a trust account, it clears the bank, and then the check gets cut to you. So we have to go through that process. So generally, from the date of mediation or settlement, in our experience, it's been, let's say... Uh, on average, four to five weeks, and you actually get the money in hand. So we're not talking about a year from now. Right. If we settle today, within about a month, just over a month, you should have the money in your bank account. Taxable? Uh, that depends. The, the right. majority of these cases are not. So if you have an injury claim, let's say after a car accident, slip and fall, uh, it, 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 it is not taxable. Um, but if you have a disability claim, remember, it depends. In terms of the retroactive pay, what they right. owe you from when they cut you off, it right. depends on whether or not you paid premiums uh, for your insurance coverage or whether your employer did right. or whether, you know, if you're the one who paid all the premiums, nothing should be taxable. Nice. If they're the ones who paid or there is a mixed payment, then the retroactive pay, the past amount that they owe you to the date of settlement is taxable and the insurance company is going to be uh, withholding a certain amount. The future amounts are not taxable. Again, those are all specifics. We can right. go over them. Anybody has any questions, they can just email me or call me uh, or simply go on mydisabilityquestions.com. Last couple seconds here. Run us through the injury, injury calculator briefly one more time. Beautiful tool, anonymous and free, injurycalculator.ca. Nothing like it as far as I know. Uh, if you've been injured in a car accident, a trip and fall, a slip and fall, a dog bite, you want to know how much money you could potentially uh, be owed if you started a claim mm-hmm. against the at-fault party, you punch in a few of, of, of uh, key pieces of information into the calculator. It takes about 15 seconds. 
and it's going to give you a range, a range of the pain and suffering damages you could potentially be looking at. And of course, every case is fact specific. So at the end of the calculator, you can click submit if you want. You can just close the browser. I'll never know you were on the site. Or you can click on the button. I get the information. We make contact and I assess your case much, much more fully. Till next time, 416-216-5910 is Savan's number, and the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.